This is The Guardian. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. It's a Europod, but in reality, it's a Barcelona pod. What are they doing? Did Frankie de Jong sign a criminal deal in 2019? Is this the ultimate contracts aren't worth the paper they're written on? Will all the players be registered by the weekend or will Robert Lewandowski have to pretend he's Martin Braithwaite? Once Sid's done with that, it'll be enough Spain, but we'll ask a generic Real Madrid question as they prepare for the Super Cup. And I don't want to break convention by bringing a panellist into the intro, but Philippe? Rabiot is Rabiot is Rabiot. He is that, but is he soon to be Manchester United's Rabio is Rabio is Rabio? That move takes us neatly to Italy, on which Nicky will tell us everything to look forward to. Fear not, German fans, Archie's here on Thursday, but we'll give you some headlines. All that plus your questions, some excellent musical emails, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Sid Lowe, hello. Good morning. Hello, Nicky Bandini. Morning. Hello, Philippe Auclair. Salut, mon vieux. And hello, Barry Glendening. I have no idea why I'm here. <laughs> is that about today's pod or is it, is it a more kind of existential? Just generally. <laughs> I couldn't sleep. It's early. Yeah. I thought, oh, I might as well listen to this. Oh, well, you're very welcome, Barry. Um, if any other listeners would like to listen to the pod, uh, all they have to do is just we'll send you the Zoom link and you can just join like Barry and have a cigarette while we all chat. Alana says, can you just gesture broadly at Barcelona and ask Sid, what the fuck? Thanks. Sid, over to you. I mean, it's quite difficult to know where to start and, and also the, the, the desire to try and keep it simple. So I suppose the question is for you, Max, really, is which bit do you want first? Okay, so I suppose first I want... Will their players be registered for the weekend? Because I love the idea that they have to play ringers and just pretend they're each other. I mean, this just seems so ridiculous. It would be quite a good collection of of ringers, in fairness, and they are people who are already in the squad. Um, I think that I wouldn't be that surprised if not all of their signings are registered by the weekend, but that that some of them are. Um, And that there might be a prioritisation of which ones. And that will, I think, happen because Barcelona were already preparing. Shall we use the, the kind of the buzzword that everyone's now learned over the summer? They're preparing the fourth of their palancas, their, their levers, right, um, yes. which would be another cash injection, they hope, in the region of, of 100 million euros. And that would see them comply with La Liga's financial fair play rules. And of course, that's, that's if you like, the kind of the basic thing to remember in all of this is that La Liga have financial fair play rules which are different to everywhere else, which tend to, everywhere else they tend to be punitive. In La Liga's case, they're preventative. In other words, they're done in advance. So they essentially have a formula, and I, I don't want to make it overcomplicated, but it's basically a what's coming in, what's going out, this is how much you can afford to spend on your first team squad. Um, and if you go over that, the system will not let you register a player. It's that simple. Now, there's a couple of caveats, but let's not get into it because it becomes complex. But basically, the system won't allow you to register them. So in other words, if you haven't got sufficient money to reach that point, you have to get money in a hurry. And that has been what's happened this summer with these with what they've been referring to as economic levers, which are essentially sales of assets. So so they could get to a point this weekend, you know, they want to keep the whole squad happy when they can say, Jules Kunde, Robert Lewandowski, we value you both but we're registering Robert for this one. <laughs> Jules, we can't register you yet. Well, of course, that's plausible, yes. If they if they reach a point, and, and obviously, you know, we're not party to the exact figures because those figures are shifting all the time as money comes in, as players go out, as contracts are changed. Um, they could be in a situation in which they can register only some of their new players. Now, it's probably worth adding at this point, even if it's only a, a slight aside, that new players include players who have signed new contracts. So Dembélé is in this position as well, for example. Right, okay. So you've got Dembélé and Sergio Roberto, as well as Rafinha, Jules Koundé, Robert Lewandowski, Christensen. Am I missing someone? And Kessier. I'm sure that this, um, reg- these regulations have been uh, applied before, but do you have any other example? I mean, 
I'm not saying of a club doing what Barcelona is doing, and you're only at about one-tenth of what you're going to try to explain to us. <laughs> but has there been a case where they genuinely haven't been able, a club that genuinely hasn't been able to register a player at all um, and has been forced to um, carry on with a, a squad of second-rate or second-choice players? Well, I mean, to give you an example, at the moment, and, and the league is, is uh, very transparent in this, the league has a list on its website of the players who've been signed with effectively a, a what would you call it, a, an indication of whether they've been registered or not. And there are lots of clubs at the moment who haven't fully complied with that yet. But that's partly, of course, because we haven't reached that point in which they have to press the button. And essentially, as I say, this is an automated system. So you press the button and the computer says, ah, uh-uh. Or more to the point, you try and click on the button, it just won't let you click. I mean, it's like trying to, you know, it's like, like trying to buy something online. The thing just doesn't work. It doesn't work. Um, so, for example, Betis are in a situation at the moment where, where they need to, and they've started using this phrase as well, they need to find their economic lever. They need to find the planker of their own to do this. There's the, the, the case that I can think of, but the problem is I can't honestly remember what the mechanics of it were and whether it was purely because of a salary limit thing. And I've got a feeling it was. But um, so Pedro León was at Getafe and they signed him and they could not register him because he had a, he had a salary that, that meant they would have gone over the, the, the limits of financial fair play. And he was left out of the squad. I'm, I must confess, I think that was in the winter window and I can't remember how long it lasted, but it lasted a while and it lasted long enough that there was a confrontation with the club over it. I, I just tweeted about ringers and the idea that Barcelona would have to use ringers is just so great and people using other names. I had a couple of great tweets. Reed says... Um, in Sunday League, we had a player registered each season called Rob Robson for this specific reason. No one's forgetting that in the heat of the moment. Anyone could turn up and be, you are Rob Robson. <laughs> and Chris said, I had this backfire when the ref asked for a lad's name and his response was, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't even difficult to remember. Tom Wood, it's literally seven letters. Okay, so that's that's the kind of registering thing. Do you, what's the Frankie de Jong thing? This idea that they're trying to say the contract he signed by the previous board wasn't a real contract. Right. So, so it's it, it's it's interesting. Um, not just the story itself, but the way the story has kind of uh, how would I put this evolved over the last twenty four hours. So this story comes uh, with David Ornstein in in the Athletic, uh, in which he he writes that Barcelona had effectively said to Frankie the Young as a means of pressuring him. And I think this is part of it, part of the thing that's important here is the framing of this as a means to pressuring Frankie de Jong that your contract might be illegal and therefore we want you to go back to your old contract. At a time, of course, when Barcelona are desperately trying to get him to take a reduced salary. Because, of course, when we talk about economic levers, there's all sorts of ways you can improve your financial situation in the face of uh, the fair play rules. And one of them, of course, is having players earning less money because that brings the whole thing down. Um, and and the, 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 the framing of this was that they'd said to him, this might be legal, you could be in trouble, the former regime could be in trouble, this could be a problem, so let's get you back on the original contract. Now, we'll come on to the contract details in a minute, I don't, I don't want to muddy the water just yet. So that's that bit of the story, and of course that's framed in a way, and, and, and framing is probably a slightly unfair word, it's not my intention to say that, that, that David Ornstein's piece was about framing, but the way it was kind of picked up was, wow, Barcelona are leveraging or trying to force a player out by effectively threatening him with, you might have broken the law, mate. Here, let's fix it by doing it this way. Now, obviously, the reason why I say it's interesting to see how this story evolves is yesterday afternoon, all of a sudden, lots of media in Spain were running essentially the same story, which is Barcelona have discovered that Frankie de Jong, Gerard Piquet, Marc-Andre Ter Stegen and Clomond Longley have all had contracts from the previous regime, which we think are legally dubious. So in other words, the framing becomes now, it wasn't us forcing De Jong. It was us dealing with a problem that we'd inherited from a disastrous former regime. Now, I don't think anyone at the moment is under any illusions about the fact that the former regime was disastrous and that this current regime has inherited a real mess and are trying to fix it. Now, whether they're fixing it in the right way, of course, is a whole other debate and we'll come on to it. Now, essentially what Barcelona are now saying, um, and as I say, these are very definitely kind of placed stories over the course of, of yesterday, is that in October of 2020, I think it was, just before Bartomeu left office as president, he renewed all of these players, gave them new deals, and basically presented it as saying, look, we've made a 30 million euro signing, uh, sorry, saving, because they've all accepted deferred payments or, or, or reduced salaries. What the board are now saying is, well, we've done the due diligence on, due, due diligence on this, and they've saved 30 million in the short term, but at a long-term cost of 311 million euros. Now, Worth pointing out, this is what Barcelona are briefing. 
not something that we have in black and white in front of us. So, of course, that shifts the focus of what this means. Now, if it is legally problematic, then this could be really, really, really messy. The former president has said that this was seen by the auditors, it was seen by the league's due diligence co um, committee, and there wasn't any issues. And this brings me to another thing, which is kind of a, a comment in passing, uh, which we were talking about before we came on air in slightly stronger terms. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but it does feel very much to me like accountants can do whatever they want. Sometimes it seems you can just move money around. Oh, that's all right, that goes over there, and that's all right, that goes over there. But at some point, the real money <laughs> becomes an issue. And, and Gerard Picard read again, you know, they're, they're asking him to take a pay cut. Hasn't he already had that? Is he on like five pounds an hour? Is he on minimum wage <laughs> now, Gerard Piquet? I think what this tells you, and, and, you know, I'm as guilty as anyone, is that we probably needed to be a little bit less credulous when we were told some of the things we were told before in terms of saying, well, he's taken a pay cut. But there's, of course, there's a difference, first of all, between a pay cut and a big pay cut. There's also a difference between a pay cut and a pay deferral. So in other words, agreeing to say, it's all right, don't pay me but we'll backload it. And essentially, this is one of the problems that they're encountering now. You've got lots of players with backloaded contracts where to get through some of these criteria earlier on, it got loaded later on. And they're there, of course. At some point, someone picks up the mess. Of course, in this case, because we're talking about a club with, with changing presidents through elections, it's a different administration that picks up the mess. We had on Sunday, Martin Brasswick got really, really... He got pelters from the crowd just for... Yeah. He wasn't even playing. He wasn't brought on in this friendly, but he was introduced to the crowd before the game and they really booed him, like got stuck into him just for being at the club. Essentially. Um, I mean, in, in fairness, there's, there's, a, there's a little bit more to it than that, but not a huge amount more. And, and he, he, he is a very unlikely villain in all of this. Of all the people to be found guilty of Barcelona's mess, he's not one of them. And of course, don't forget how Martin Brathwaite turned up at Barcelona. He was signed out of window because of an injury where Barcelona were given special dispensation to go and sign him, paying his buyout clause from Leganes out of window because they'd lost a player for injury. And Leganes lost him and didn't have the chance to buy anyone back. The, the, the one caveat with the Brathwaite thing is that is that there is interest in him. Um, Barcelona want to sell him. He is holding on and essentially saying, well, if you want me to go, you let me go for free. So that, in other words, so that any benefit from the sale is me. So I think some fans are saying, well, that's, you know, not very, not a great act of solidarity with the club. But of course, the club's not showing a huge amount of solidarity with the players, which, by the way, we all know is a fact of all football clubs. Um, so so are this, are the, is this board good or not good? And will Barcelona be good? this season? I mean, look, as someone who can barely do maths, let alone accountancy, um, I, it's, it's very difficult for me to give a kind of a definitive good-bad response to this. There's a lot of what they've done that seems doubtful to me. There's a lot of it when you think, what, another one? Seriously? Another player? But Barcelona's mentality on this is, and what they will insist to you, and, and you know, let's see how this comes out in the wash eventually, that these all these players are coming in on much, much lower salaries than used to be paid. So there is an overall project of bringing salary levels down because um, they were talking about they needed their salary bill to be 400 million euros. It was actually at 560. But of course, this summer it's gone up, not down because they bought in new players. But those players are not on the kind of salaries that are top earners. Even Lewandowski isn't, were on before. Um, but they have inherited a mess that they've got to try and fix and that they have taken this idea that Laporta referred to as a virtuous cycle when he was president last time in 2003 and actually, they haven't used this phrase this time around, although people are starting to use it, including myself. I think there's an idea of you create interest in the club. You create a good team. That generates everything. That all it, If you like, the machinery kicks into gear, people come to games, people buy shirts, we become a big club, and the whole thing... So you, essentially, you spend your, your way out of trouble by building a better team. Now, even within that, there are some signings that you think, well, really? In the financial situation you're in? And the, the fact they can't yet register their players? And that, look, let's not get away from the basics here. Barcelona are talking about having generated around about 850 million euros in the last few months. Um, but that has fundamentally been generated. Now, you can argue about whether this is a problem or not by selling off assets, by selling off future TV rights, two packages of that, 25% for the next 25 years, by selling off 25% um, of, uh, of Barca Studios, which is like a kind of a content producing company that they'd set up. And they're going to, the next lever will be another 25% of that. They won't go over 49% in total. Uh, they've still got the uh, authority from the members' assembly to sell their licensing arm, BLM, if they want to. 
Um, and obviously the real levers are getting some players out, but it's quite difficult to get rid of footballers. And that's one of the big things that, that, that of course, they've discovered. I, I should probably also add that there is, this summer it's easy to look at this and say, wow, Barcelona just buy as if there's no tomorrow and there's never any punishment and never any problems. Well, they were forced to lose Leo Messi last year. That was quite a big deal. I mean, the Frankie de Jong situation, um, even if on paper it looks as if, well, if a contract was illegal, of course, the, the contract should be looked at and perhaps changed. But in this particular case, it's very difficult not to think it's just leverage to get what they want out of the player. Mm. And, and what of course is, it is, yeah. But so, so what's going to happen with Frankie de Jong, who is only one of the best young midfielders in Europe, He's, he probably hates Barcelona now. Yeah, and uh, and 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 then who are you supposed are you supposed to sell him then? I mean, I I have to say in this particular case, it has focused on one player. Apart mm. from all the financial madness, Frankie yeah. de Jong, who is for nothing, I mean, he's not responsible for any of this mess, has been in the eye of the cyclone for how many months now? Yes, and um, so what's going to happen to him? Well, I mean, that's the question, what's going to happen to him. And, and there is this um, kind of quite amusing contradiction, isn't there? As you say, that given some of what's happened, he would be entitled, I think, to think, I really don't like Barcelona now. I don't like what they're doing. And so what do you do when you don't like someone? You walk away from them. But actually, the best way to spite them is to say, no, I'm staying. And so you sort of don't really know how this plays out because Frankie de Jong keeps saying, no, I want to stay. And of course, you know, maybe maybe he also thinks, well, we've seen how these things go. If they don't force me out, once once it's gone, Maybe the pressure resides and maybe I can just get on with being a player again. Um, he's, he's happy in Barcelona as a city. He wants to be at Barcelona, the club. Um, the options to leave, obviously, Barcelona had agreed a deal with Manchester United. And for Barcelona, this was perfect, by the way. Well, also, I don't leave. know how he could refuse the option of playing with Rabiot. I mean, I, I have to say. <laughs> I know, exactly. Well, to be fair, Philippe, maybe that's the thing that finally tips the balance. He didn't know Rabiot was going there. Now that Rabiot is Rabiot is Rabiot is going there, he, he, he probably thinks, I desperately want to go to Old Trafford. But you see, for Barcelona's point of view, it was perfect because it was a big transfer fee. And frankly, Young, in terms of salary and amortizations, is costing him, I, I think I'm right in saying, I. I forget the figure. I think it was something like 35 million euros a year. So it's a really significant departure for them in terms of the accounting, the accounting rather, and the and the and the compliance with La Liga's uh, salary limits or the financial fair play rules. Um, Sid, just before we move on from Spain, Real Madrid won the Champions League. If anyone remembers that, um, how how are they looking? And any other sort of wild predictions or things we should look out for? It does feel a bit unfair, doesn't it, that Real Madrid won the double or that that double, which actually they've not done that often, considering how many Champions Leagues they've won. They don't tend to win the league with the Champions League, and we've, no one's really talked about them. And they've done their business quite early. Chouameni uh, looks like a, an interesting introduction. They've essentially got two different types of midfielders, midfields now. They've got a three that's the old three, which Ancelotti is, has now started referring to as the Bermuda Triangle because once the ball goes in there, it disappears. I assume he means from the other team rather than just disappears. <laughs> and he says, and he's got this other younger, more dynamic midfield, um, which of course is Camavinga, Chouameni and, and, and Valverde, which he's now referring to as his rock and roll midfield so he can mix it up. The one thing for them, I guess, is they don't really have a replacement for Karim Benzema. I'm just checking. Benzema is. I just checked. He's still there. When you said no replacement, I was like, have I just had a Barry no, no, Sergio no, what Ramos? I mean, what, what I mean is that they've got strength <laughs> yeah, in depth throughout the squad, course. and they haven't really got a forward line. In fact, they've tried to sell the idea of Eden Hazard being a false number nine if and when needed this year. Right. Um, uh, just finally on ringers, Barca Jim uh, just messaged a uh, friend of the pod. I remember playing in a game, and one of the op- one of the opposition got was, in fairness, a soft yellow card. He didn't help himself by shouting, "Who am I again?" At the captain who is negotiating <laughs> on his behalf. Anyway, that'll do for part one. Part two, uh, we'll begin with Adrian Rabio. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Finding your perfect home was hard. But thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST.
Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Nikki is obviously here to talk Serie A, um, but we have to start with uh, Philippe. Um, we had possibly a record number of tweets and emails on the Rabiot news. Adam, question for Philippe. Will Rabiot still be Rabiot when he joins Manchester United? Pete, just five minutes from Philippe on Rabiot is Rabiot is Rabiot. And uh, uh, has there ever been, says Joe, a more post-Fergie Manchester United signing than Rabiot is Rabiot is Rabiot? It's as if they knew Philippe was on. Um, and I like to... Whoever said, you know, putting Rabio on the end of McTominay is makes him McFreddiot. The, the whole, the, the, the whole <laughs> midfield. Anyway, Philippe, off you go. Oh no, please! I feel a bit like a, you know, when I I, I would feel a bit like a a, a plumber who is invited uh, for dinner at some friends, and they said. Oh, you're the plumber, aren't you? Well, can't you fix the thing in the kitchen, right? <laughs> or if you're a musician, you have to sing a song. And I, I have, I will have to bear this albatross. This rabio is rabio is rabio. Well, it's your the fault. End of my it? days. Yeah. And but he hasn't changed, and that's the whole point. He will never change. He is like he's like the sea. What? Very wet. Uh, the sea eternally changes, but eternally stays the same. That's what rabio is. He's a mystery wrapped in enigma, wrapped in a cloud of shisha. He's, um, he's something different. I don't understand. I don't understand him. I've, I've gone beyond the realm of understanding and comprehension. Um, I mean, he, he is the solution to the problems he solves. Um, but he barely solves the problems that anybody else is posing, if you see what I mean. He can look very easy on the eye, talking seriously. Uh, in a team that is dominant. Now, obviously, this is the perfect, uh, <laughs> you know, perfect fit for a team like Manchester United, who was so dominant against Brent, uh, um, against Brighton. Um, it, it's an incomprehensible move, but it's not like 3D chess, or it's not even like, yeah, it's not or 4D chess. It's not a move that you see the consequences like 16 moves later. Oh, suddenly the column is free. The, the rook can go there. No, it's it's just incomprehensible. What can I say? What more can I say, Max? I think I've said all I had to say. I think you can record this, put it on a loop. And every time you, in, in the season where we need to talk about this particular subject, much against my will, of course, you can just press play, you know, and, and there you will be. It's a form of meditation for me, I suppose. <laughs> Am I right in thinking that if Rabiot goes to Manchester United for a rumoured 18 million euros, that Man United will be spending that money on a Juventus player that Juventus were about to pay to leave? Uh, I don't think it got quite that far with, with Rabiot. In fact, I, I, I slightly expected him to start this weekend for Juventus just because... Pogba's out, uh, McKenney's out, and I was looking at midfield and going, well, does that put Rabiot into the, the next starting lineup? I don't think they were at that point with him, but there were other players they've been, they've been trying to usher out. But it is really sort of fascinating, the, the, the journey it's been the last few years at Juventus, because the same as Philippe just said, and he shows up, he's got this elegance to him. He's got this sort of certain sort of, um, I don't know, easy on the eye when he steps onto the pitch. He looks like he's going to be a, a certain type of player. And then you see him trying to play a, a two-yard pass on the floor and somehow lofting it over his teammate and out for a throw-in. And you think, it's quite jarring. <laughs> um, and he has moments. He has moments of being that player. I mean, I remember at the beginning him being described almost as Van Basten-esque in his movements. Because when he gets on the ball sometimes, he'll run, he'll beat two men and score a goal from 20 yards out. And you think, wow, there's a, there's a footballer in there somewhere. But at other times, he just it's almost like he makes the pitch around him look small because it's, his touch is that heavy, like his pass is that heavy, like it looks like the distances are all wrong in, in his head and in his body. And he's a very, he's a very odd footballer. And um, I can't see how there's a good signing at all, especially for a club, as I think it was Lars was saying yesterday on the show. Ten Hag needs players, or at least if he's going to recreate what he did at Ajax, who can protect the ball for him, who can look after the ball for him. And that's, that's not the player you're, you're signing at all. I'm really looking forward to him arriving at Old Trafford after hearing all this. Jonathan Faduber, our mate, saying, look, the people working at Juventus front office must be laughing their heads off at Manchester United, bailed them out of an unmanageable contract with Ronaldo, paid them a big fee in the process, robbed them blind for Pogba, now bailing them out of Rabiot's wages with a fee. Um, is, is that a fair representation? Um, I'm going to guess it depends on whether Pogba ever plays in another game of football, because um, well, I'm exaggerating, but he does seem to, you know, this constant injury issue at the moment has returned. Uh, you know, he's got to, United, got to Juventus 
with a lot of excitement in Turin, a lot of sort of enthusiasm, and immediately he's injured and isn't going to be able to play for the start of the season. So whether or not they're going to get value from Pogba this time, I guess, remains to be seen. But certainly they did very well off the initial deal with Pogba signing him for next to nothing, selling him for so much, and they haven't had to pay a lot to, to get him back. So, well, pay nothing in transfer fees that they are paying a reasonable amount of wages. I just, I just don't know with Rabiot. Like, it, it's that thing, and I sort of feel like Philippe will always say it better than I will, because um, I guess there's that connection of watching your national team and, and seeing him in it. But I mean, this is a World Cup winner. This is someone who's gone and, and done things. And so maybe we're all wrong. But yeah, he's he's a very frustrating footballer. On the subject of Juve, uh, Allegri saying, look, after trophy of the season, for the first time in 10 years, you may have a duty to win the Scudetto. Well, good luck with that, because I don't think they're going to. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's under a lot of pressure, Allegri. You think that while he was away, he almost got sort of more and more idolised because it felt like the club was moving in the wrong direction. But at the same time, you know, you had, you had Maurizio Sarri came in. Maurizio Sarri still won the league. All right, Pirlo didn't, but then Allegri hasn't either. And now it's a second season. You've spent a considerable sort of amount of money sort of restructuring the squad. You went out and got Dusan Vlahovic to be your, your star for the future. Make it look better. And when I look at the team, I'm just not convinced it is still that much better. I think Di Maria is a really nice signing. The attack sort of on paper looks quite dramatic. You think Di Maria and Vlahovic, and if he's, again, if he's fit at some point, Federico Chiesa. It's an exciting attack, but Max Allegri is not known for making things exciting. The midfield, to me, still feels really, really thin. Um, you've got Locatelli playing as the, the sort of the regista, the, the orchestrator, the one who's supposed to pull the strings. I've always thought he's more effective as a box-to-box midfielder, but fine, maybe he can do that role. You've got Pogba came in to, to bring some of that box-to-box energy. Well, he's injured right away. You've got McKenney, who I'm still not sure he's at the height that you really want for a club like Juventus. But again, he's injured anyway. So who's playing alongside Locatelli in this midfield? Well, there's Fagioli, who was on loan in Serie B last season, played pretty well. Maybe he'll uh, surprise us. Zakaria, okay. you know, But these aren't players that make you think, wow, this is all moving in a great direction. And then you've just lost Chiellini at the back, who, again, fine, he was getting old, you needed to move on. Bremer, who's coming to replace him, was very, very good at Torino. Maybe he'll make that, that step and, and be everything you want. But... There's just a lot of questions all through this team for me. And in the meantime, I look at Inter and I look at Milan and I think they're just both better. Maybe I'll be wrong, but Juventus last season weren't great. And I, I don't know that other than Di Maria, there's anything in this current situation that makes me think, gosh, this is going to be much better. Do you think the title race will be as close as it was last year? You know, AC Milan did push Inter. You wonder if Inter are just a bit stronger than Milan. Yeah, look, look um, Obviously, Milan reigning champs. Um, Inter lost Perisic, who was pretty important last season, but they've signed Lukaku, who scored, was their leading scorer and top assist provider the season before. And I'm personally really excited to see how his dynamics is going to go together with Simone Inzaghi, who is a more attacking manager than Antonio Conte, who has these sort of more uh, aggressive schemes than Conte did, and who was really looking forward to working with Lukaku a season ago, they started working together in pre-season and had this player taken away from him. I think that dynamic's really interesting and, and intriguing. Inter, other than Perisic, have kept most of what's important together so far. There's some sort of talk about PSG and Skriniar, which would be a big loss, but, but so far they've held on to everyone. I think they'll be very strong. Milan, again, you know, they've probably got stronger. They brought in De Ketela, who looks like a really interesting young talent. I think those two teams should both moving in the right direction. I also... I. I, I think I'll probably end up regretting this and feeling like an Is idiot. this a Roma shout? Yeah, I'm interested <laughs> in Roma. I, I, I think they're very much in the dark horse category. I'm not for a second saying I think they're the favourites, but there is an energy in Rome right now that is really appealing. Like I'm sure everyone's seen the videos of, of Dybala's sort of welcome party. But there's just, there's just a, a, an optimism that I think is contagious and... I think you shared a hilarious sort of counter clip with the um, Dybala sending a corner straight off for a, a goal kick. It's one of my favourite corners of all time where he just sort of stubs it and then it hits It hits like one of those posts that's holding up the net at the back. And it's just, yes, I mean, it's just a, a bad kick of a football. It's a divot. What's fun is 
enough Roma fans have said, you salty, your salty tears, Max. I'm like, no, no, that's all right. <laughs> There's nothing against do you, do you think he'll have to live with that corner as long as as long as long Barry Aspas had to live with the one that he did at Liverpool? <laughs> it's possible. I thought you were going to say as long as Barry has to live with the <laughs> Munich story. <laughs> um, but that house, he's, has, apparently, you know, he's, he's started well, hasn't he? And it'd be fascinating if Jose won a title there. Look, in, in, in sort of taking a step back from what I just said, I, I don't really think that Omar, like, on paper, look like the team that should win the league, right? I don't think they're the best team in Serie A at all. The reasons why I can sort of talk myself into them as a dark horse is the attack on paper is it's quite exciting, right? You've got Pellegrini, who's a genuinely really talented young, well, not young anymore, but still mid-20s footballer. Tammy Abraham, who's obviously had a fantastic season. Paolo Dybala, who has been the Serie A MVP, although it's always been very sort of hot and cold with him. It's, but um, then you've also got Zaniolo, who, again, hot and cold, but has been sort of touted at times one of Italy's great coming talents. The Dybala thing for me, I think whatever Jose Mourinho is and isn't, I think what you would have to say has been one of his greatest sort of talents in his career has been for activating the chip on players' shoulders. When I think about his, his treble win at Inter, it was Samueletto who came from Barcelona feeling like he'd been cast aside too easily and was willing to go and play at fullback for Mourinho because he was that willing to that eager to prove a point to everyone that no I'm I'm a Champions League winner and it was Wesley Schneider who was a good footballer but for one season again discarded by Madrid played at a level that had some of the thinking he should have been a Ballon d'Or winner he wasn't that player all through his career Dybala has been cast aside by Juventus he wanted to stay at Juventus he was desperate to stay at Juventus but they weren't willing to pay him what he thought he was worth if if Mourinho can do that magic again, if he can push the right buttons for Dybala and make him into this player that we think he's had the potential to be, that attack is is really, really compelling. And you bring in Wijnaldum to strengthen the midfield as well. And, you know, it has to be that magic. It has to be that one season where everyone is just pulling together. And maybe it doesn't happen at all. Maybe we get the Mourinho we've seen more often in the last few years where actually it's just dour and defensive and wasted all this opportunity. But there's just this sort of moment right now when you've got tens of thousands of fans waiting to greet your signing, where the, the mood is so optimistic. And I think sometimes those things, the contagion carries you somewhere. Maybe it won't, but I think there's, there's that possibility right now in Rome. Nicky, uh, D- Dries Merton left Napoli last month and is off to Galatasaray, I think. He strikes me as a player you've always held in extremely high regard. Will, will he be a big loss to Syria? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm certain um, this happens to all of us in our journalistic careers. I, I don't know if you, any of you guys feel the same. Like certain players, you get to sit down and have a, uh, an interview with maybe once or a few times in your career, and you just you think to yourself, you sort of as a human being appreciate that person. Dries Mertens is someone who, in the time I got to spend with him, I just found him a very sort of compelling, interesting person. On top of which, he's a very entertaining footballer when he's on. Like he can do things that are technically very impressive, and. I think it's it's a sad moment, actually. You know, Napoli's the other end of the scale from Roma. Napoli are a team who were in the top four last season who the mood is absolutely toxic. You've just said goodbye to your captain in, in senior, to your deputy captain in Koulibaly, and to the player who the fans probably love the most in Dries Mertens. It's like the whole end of an era is happening at once there. Um, and I will miss Dries Mertens if he is on his way out of Serie A. And, um, well, he is on his way out of Serie A. And I think he still has something to offer as, as a footballer. I think he definitely still is going to create moments of magic and win games of football. He's 35, his body isn't holding as it used to in terms of games played, but I think he absolutely is a game winner when he's when he's there and when he's switched on. The Napoli owner, Aurelio De Laurentiis, has said the club will no longer sign African players unless they sign a waiver confirming they'll not play in AFCON. He says, enough of African players, or they should give up playing in the African Cup of Nations. I won't be buying them anymore for this reason. We pay the salaries to send them around to play elsewhere in the middle of the league championship. Or they sign a waiver that for AFCOM and the championships in South America, in the Copper America, I cannot make them available to participate. How's that, how's that gone down? I suppose locally, De Laurentiis was already very unpopular. And I think some of the reasons why De Laurentiis was unpopular locally are, are the wrong reasons, because I think De Laurentiis has been unpopular at times in Naples for not winning the league and spending more money. But actually, he sort of has run the club sustainably. And, and that in itself, putting that in a box is quite admirable. When he says things like this, you're reminded that he can be an absolute cretin. And um, I, I think, you know, a lot of us think very lowly of him for things like that. Of course, it's frustrating for football clubs to lose players in the middle of the season. It is just sort of factually accurate to say that um, Napoli were, were hurt by the, the Cup of Nations last season. When you look at 
certain players, Koulibaly being a prime example, the difference in points gained when Koulibaly was, was in the team when he wasn't, it's something like 0.8 points a game. He's a transformatively good player. But um, to sort of the lack of respect for the fact that these are human beings who want to represent their country just the same as anyone in any other country is, is really, yeah, not pleasant. It has created, um, Max, a real stir on African football forums. I mean, a member of a couple of those, uh, mostly for, you know, stories related to CAF and FIFA in Africa. But this has been, uh, that's wildfire uh, on the forums. People have taken very badly to it. But what is crazy is that De Laurentiis has one point. Not in the way, the way he said it was totally wrong. But CAF keeps changing the time at which the competitions are happening. Which means, for example, a competition which you thought was going to happen in the summer is going to happen in the winter. And there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. There's no prior warning. And for clubs, it's an absolute nightmare to uh, to manage that because you thought you would have, oh, especially in a year, say like 22, 23, where you've got the World Cup to deal with as well in November and December. And and then you realize, oh my goodness, what am I what I have what do I have to do after that? And it's an absolutely crazy situation. And De Laurentiis got rightly absolutely slaughtered uh, for what he actually said, the words he used. On the other hand, the situation itself is real and shows also a complete disdain by the African Confederation for clubs, but also and especially for African players. And I think that had that needed to be said. You've always given the impression, Philippe, that that FIFA and you know Infantino had got things right in the guy he put in place to run Af- African <laughs> African football. <laughs> More about this later. Well, I, I mean, I was going to say, you know, it's 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 well, of course Philippe is right, but my facetious response to that was slightly well. Of course, there would never be another major tournament that everyone agreed to was definitely going to happen in the summer. That suddenly is happening in the middle of the winter. Is there? <laughs> it's a very good point. Uh, all right, that'll do for part two. Part three, uh, we'll do a bit of Germany, a bit of France, any other business too. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Just dawned on me, Sid. I mean, there's probably a reason why you always piss off after part one, isn't there? You, you know, you down tools any down tools anyway. No, nah, normally I've got to go somewhere. Now, 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 now I'm enjoying my Barry roll, sitting and listening. Zwanimir <laughs> says, "Do Bayern have enough firepower to win the title this year?" Uh, uh, Archie's on Thursday, so we'll go into this in detail. But they did beat the Europa League winners Eintracht Frankfurt six-one. So that's the title sewn up in Germany already. Uh, Messi scored a ridiculous goal at the weekend for PSG. Philippe, they're looking worryingly good, aren't they? Yeah, that's 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 disastrous. Uh, they're looking really, really good. They did the thing that I was dreading they would do. They actually chose the right manager. Um, I think we'd been talking actually about him, about Christophe Galtier, before on the pod and the exceptional work he had done at Saint-Étienne uh, and also the very good work he'd done uh, at, at, uh, at Lille, uh, where, of course, he became French champion. And, and then with Nice. So we're talking about one of the very, very, very best French managers uh, who's had to wait until, you know, he's, what, 54, 55 now, Christophe, uh, to, to get this chance. And uh, he's, going to, he's, going to be a, he's going to be a great success, and PSG are going to be a great success. And this year, I'm not going to dismiss their chances in the Champions League. This, is a, this guy knows what he's doing. And not only that, he's got the perfect personality uh, to deal with this group of players. And you only have to see the performances. I know it's only two games. There was the Trophée des Champions, the equivalent of the Community Shield, which they won very easily, four games, um, four, four, four nil against Nantes. Then they won five nil uh, at Clermont. And okay, it's only Clermont. And Clermont have, you know, are not good, doing well at the moment inside the club. But you saw a team that made sense. He's now playing three at the back as well. And... Uh, when you've got Nuno Mendes and Hakimi as wing-backs, that spells danger. Uh, Neymar is looking as fit as I've seen him in a long time. 
Leo Messi's body language has changed totally. He looks happy. Kylian Mbappe is not even fit yet. And he's being kept in reserves for more serious games, as BLT has put it. And the thing, he's not somebody who is going to annoy his players with uh, endless tactical sessions or the rest of it. He's going to do that. He's going to do the necessary work to make sure that everything is in place. But apart from that, his main capacity, his main talent is to be an entraîneur. And entraîner in French means to coach, but it also means to lead and to have people follow you. And he's absolutely superb at that. Also, their recruitment, I think, has been very smart. Uh, you know, Vitinha has arrived from Porto, uh, from the never-ending um, production machine that is Portuguese football. Renato Sanchez has arrived from Lille. Um, they've, they've still spent quite a bit of money, but they look balanced. They look at ease with themselves. They look confident. And the extraordinary thing is that they have to rely on a manager who, who is from Marseille <laughs> uh, to, to perhaps transform them into the power they can be. You've never heard talk to me about talk to PSG about PSG like this, and but I'm afraid I might well be right. It might be that I'm trying what the Italians call a double hex, Nikki. Uh, but I do think that PSG is going to have a season that uh, is going to to resonate with their fans and the rest of the football world. Yes, Philippe. Two two questions that are kind of that come up from that. One of them, as you've just said it, uh, that Kylian Mbappe is not even in the team yet, and they're holding him back for the big games. Um, here comes stupid question, but maybe not as stupid as, as it seems when you start to kind of unravel it. Is Mbappe, when Mbappe's fit, is that a problem? Where, do, where does he fit in? How do they move these other pieces around? And does that actually break the harmony that they've currently got? Uh, I don't think that uh, is going to be much of a problem. Um, there has been, uh, apparently Mbappe has had um, long chats with Christophe Galtier and um, gets on extremely well with him again. Um, I mean, the thing is that we might not see the three of them together as often as we saw them in the past where they were fit because it didn't happen very often when managers felt they had an obligation to put them together. I think with Galtier, you won't have any of this nonsense. I, I genuinely think so. And um, also you see the work, the way, for example, Neymar has bought into, I don't know, I mean, if you saw pictures of him or whatever, he looks so much fitter than he has looked for quite a while. He was also, he's always done a bit of defending Neymar. I think he's always been over-criticized by the fact he was not taking part in, you know, getting back in position. He was just doing it in a Neymar way. Now he's doing it in a Galtier way. And, and the difference has, has been quite striking. And even Messi was doing a little bit of tracking back and winning the ball and so forth, which is extraordinary. Now, if he can manage to convince Bappe to do it as well, which is not going to be easy, uh, Again, they're going to be... Uh, I don't think there's any problem. I don't think it's going to unbalance the team at all. The, 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 the other question I was going to ask you, although actually what you've just said, something that just occurred to me, if you've got players who are kind of looking like they're ready and they're up for it and they're, and they're, and they're fitter than ever before, and those players happen to be three players who possibly have a claim on being the best player in the world, and certainly three players for whom possibly their entire careers, maybe not their entire careers, that's a big, big leap, could well be defined by the World Cup. So there's a bit of me that just wonders if, if the, the, optimist, the optimist in me, on your behalf, wonders if maybe there'll be a massive collapse post-World Cup when only one of these three has won it <laughs> and the other two hate him for it. Yes, I was going to say, Sid, in any case, you're, you're right because this World Cup is going to completely destroy a number of teams all across Europe and the, play, and the teams which have got the fewer players at the World Cup will do extremely well afterwards, which is one thing... Possibly. Yeah. And, partic and partic particularly in this case, because as I say, you're talking about three players who, whose focus is very much on the World Cup. And if, if, if as you're saying, the, the, the standout difference is that these players suddenly seem to care. And you think, oh, I wonder what the short-term you know, goal they've all got is. And then once the World Cup's gone, do they yep. just actually yep. not really care very much? The other question I was going to ask you about Luis Campos. Uh, so you're talking about the recruitment's been good. Yeah. How much is it to do with him? And how weird do people in Paris think it is that he also works for, works for Celta de Vigo? I don't think that uh, they find it that weird, uh, to be honest. Because can you just can you just remind some listeners who don't know who Luis Campos is? He's a sports director. He's a guru. Uh, he is. Uh, he was previously associated uh, with Christophe Galtier at Lille, and uh, honestly, Lille's recruitment uh, was absolutely second to none. Unfortunately, it didn't serve the club in financial terms because they had. Uh, 
shall we say, a peculiar way of doing transfer dealings. And I can see Sid smiling when I say that. Uh, Luis Campos was never directly uh, involved, by the way, in all the shenanigans which went around, you know, the Lille transfer dealings. And uh, it's, it's, in fact, what PSG have done is rather smart. They, they saw what had been happening at Lille when Lille became champions. And they thought, okay, what they've got is what we lack. So what we're going to do, we're going to buy it. <laughs> and so they brought Galtier and Campos in, a bit like Manchester City looked at Barca and said, you know what, we quite like the, that manager of theirs. We also quite like the sport directors. Let's bring the whole thing in and see what happens where well, we saw the result. And, and PSG are basically doing the same thing. Um, I'll have to look at more closely if Campos has also brought his own. He's got a, um, a cell of scout of about eight major uh, head scouts which are a little bit all over the place in, uh, in Europe. Uh, I'll check, but I think I wouldn't be surprised if he's also still using the same team uh, for, for scouting and recruitment purposes. Uh, and as to your question, um, Sid, I, I don't think I've seen anybody mention that particular relationship yet uh, in, in the French media, um, certainly not in a major way. You mentioned the World Cup. Wales look like they're going to win it. Gareth Bale scored a brilliant goal uh, for LAFC uh, the other day, cutting down the right, dribbling past a million people and putting it in. And Aaron Ramsey, on his Nice debut, uh, arrived late in true Aaron Ramsey style uh, and uh, uh, scored a goal. So nice to see him back and playing well. And we can all celebrate with a lovely voice note from Ellis when Wales win the World Cup in Qatar. Um, Barry, you look like you're about to come in. No, you just said... Aaron Ramsey arrived late in in typical Aaron Ramsey fashion. Is is that a late run or is he just famously unpunctual? <laughs> it's, it's 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 punctuality issues of Aaron Ramsey are absolutely terrible. I, I like sort of a Lampard esque ah, okay, late run right, into the yeah. box. I wasn't quite sure there. Uh, <laughs> Philippe, you wanted a word on the African Football Confederation Congress. Uh, which is kicking off on Wednesday. Short answer on this, please. Yes, uh, and also just. Um, People might not be aware of the fact that Ligue 1 has decided to bring back the number of clubs from 20 to 18. So four, yeah, so four clubs will go down uh, this season, which obviously is changing quite a few things. Yeah, um, about CAF very quickly. Um, tomorrow is the uh, ordinary general assembly of CAF, uh, which is taking place in Tanzania. And up till now, the president who, who has been put in place by FIFA, Patrice Motsepe, has been enjoying a pretty easy ride. But this is not going to be the case tomorrow. Um, we've had access, or I've had access to the CAF financial accounts, which show that uh, the Confederation has lost uh, nearly £45 million last year, that uh, its cash reserves have dwindled by half. Uh, so it's it's an absolutely crazy situation, uh, financially speaking. And they're also supposed to talk tomorrow uh, about the uh, African Super League, which is uh, the kind of test for the European Super League that Infantino was supporting. Oh, sorry, he wasn't supporting. Um, yeah, definitely not. Yeah, definitely not. And uh, it's which is which should be costing two hundred million euros. Nobody knows where dollars. Excuse me. Nobody knows where the money is coming from, and so forth and so on. I'd really like an, um, you know, uh, an opportunity, Mike. So I know that we, you know, we have taxis to take and planes to to catch and so <laughs> forth. But I would really welcome the opportunity to have a special on on what is going with uh, going on with African football at the moment because it's an absolute scandal. I think it's a good idea. Yeah, let's do that, and we'll have plenty of wonderful guests as well. I can promise you. Okay, uh, um, we'll we'll finish with a couple of emails. We were talking about um, the musical ability of. Listeners, I think off the back of Patrick Bamford's Grade Seven violin, which is sort of one thing I'm sort of got, I hark back to probably too often. Um, D says you asked what qualifications Football Weekly attendees had on this podcast this week. He said I got through a whole primary school recorder recital by holding the recorder uh, away from my mouth and just tooting the tune. Gifted, I think nobody noticed. Meanwhile, Sam, who Sir Sam Ellis, whose who's bio, bio is alto clef connoisseur, associate head of um, music at the Royal Conservatoire in Scotland said, uh, um, my musical colleagues find me insufferably common. My football friends think I'm bewilderingly posh. Split the difference and buy a season to get a Craven Cottage, he says with a question mark. And Joshua says, dear Football Weekly, um, I was at the live gig in Hackney on July the 8th. I got a picture with Barry and Troy at the pub 
after. And I have grade eight cello. I play in my university symphony orchestra, being an Arsenal fan and the orchestra rehearsing from 7.30 until 10.30 on Monday nights. I've watched multiple Arsenal games by propping my phone up on my music stand so the conductor can't see it. And it looks like I'm scrutinizing <laughs> the sheet music. I've only given myself away once when Lacazette scored a 95th minute equaliser 95th minute equaliser against Crystal Palace last season. Although the conductor might have thought I was getting particularly excited over a passage in Beethoven rather than because Arsenal had salvaged a slightly less embarrassing result in the last minute. He says, greatest pod in the world. I never miss an episode from Josh. I, I was on a very busy tube uh, the other day and there was a girl on this, in the same carriage with a cello. And it just looks like such a faff to have to kind of lump, lug that big thing around. Now, I suppose it's better than playing double bass, but I, I just, just looking at her, you know, sweating and flustered and banging into everyone and thinking, you, why didn't you just take up the violin or the <laughs> triangle or something? Uh, we've had an army update from Luke, who says, Hi, Football Weekly. Um, in the discussion around Scott Parker's jacket, Max said the four stripes on his sleeve signified he was a stro- squadron commander. Bravo if this was intentionally a nod to Scott's 1920s-esque looks because Squadron Commander was abolished in 1918 (laughs) when the Royal Naval Air Service merged with the Royal Flying Corps to form the RAF and it was signified by three stripes. So Scotty P would in fact have been a wing commander. Four stripes in today's money (laughs) would make him a group captain in the RAF. So there we go. We will go. Well, he he does have the look of a wing commander about him. He does. Yeah, yeah. But now he is group captain. Glad we got to the bottom of that. And can we say thank you to Jack, uh, who has taken all the predictions that the the six panellists that we had, or however many we had last week on the Premier League predictions, and is doing a week-by-week guide to how our predictions are getting on. Jonathan Wilson tops the table, disappointingly. Simon Burnton hot on his heels. Uh, Max and Barry sit mid-table, which is probably right (laughs) where we are professionally. Uh, Nadam Onua and Troy Townsend. Uh, bringing up the rear at the moment, but all to play for, only one game in. Uh, we'll finish with uh, uh, Liam McClare's Adrian Rabio loop. Seems only fitting, uh, but for the time being. Nicky, thank you for your time. Thanks. Uh, thank you, Sid. Pleasure. Thank you, Barry. Thanks. Thank you, Philippe. Thank you, Max. We'll be back on Thursday. Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Danielle Steele. This is The Guardian. 